Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. Thank you, Aaron. You know, it was about, I believe, a little over a year ago that we first introduced our podcast listeners to the Bullock Distillery. Yeah, it was an entire year ago, which seems like yesterday and also an eternity, but I'm definitely looking forward to getting into what they have to tell us today. Well, so let's introduce our guests today. First, we have Scott Ferris and then Ty Bullock with the Bullock Distillery. Guys, welcome to West Virginia Beer Road. Hey. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, last month, the West Virginia Alcohol Beverage Control Administration issued the Bullock Distillery the final permits. Talk about how that feels and what it means to you. Um, it, it's a great relief. It's a very exciting to get those final inspections through the ABC and through the city and everything. And we're, we're ready and I'm glad that they're ready for us. Great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't say it better. Well, when we last talked again, you know, that was almost, well, probably right at a year ago. Um, and you'd hope to be opening in the spring of last year. And then of course, COVID hit, which we definitely don't need to elaborate on because there's a lot there. But talk us through the last 12 months and how things have progressed from then to a year ago to today. Sure. Yeah. Um, of course, we've had to pivot just like uh, everyone else has. Um, but I think it uh, allowed us an opportunity to uh, really think about, one, how to, how to more automate our processes and streamline things uh, achieve efficiencies, um, and also to focus on um, our, our upstream suppliers of ingredients, of uh, what we want to do, what recipes we want, what final product we want, and uh, what experience we, we want to provide to people. And so I think we pivoted and shifted in a, in a good way that, that uh, has only been beneficial, if not prolong the uh, uh, the whole endeavor but um, as Scott was saying it's it's great to uh, it, it, it's great to be here at this point right now let's go over your staffing uh, that you've set up now and walk us through the positions that you've filled and talk a little about the people that are filling we have two uh, distillers we have mr. Scott Ferris as co-head distiller and we have Adam Anderson, who is on vacation with his family this week. Um, he'll be back next week, and, and uh, we'll get right back to it. Um, those are going to be our two main guys. At first, we're going to make our products, uh, spend most of our time back here in the, the distillery room. And um, over time, we, we, we hope to hire five to ten more people to obtain various positions and help out in various ways in the distillery. Okay. Well, Scott, let me direct this to you. I'm curious about how you decided to get into the distilling business and maybe talk a little about the strengths you feel you bring to this business. Well, as Ty mentioned, uh, this year is full of surprises and people had to pivot and I pivoted away from tourism and linked up with, um, my uh, old college roommate and good friend, Ty, who's always offered a position for me. And um, as we kind of grew in a professional relationship together, this role of distiller needed uh, someone to fulfill it. 
And I was getting learning more about it slowly but surely, getting more excited about it slowly but surely. And it, it sort of felt natural to come into this role. Um, I'm, I'm very excited. And as far as previous experience, um, whiskey drinker, you know, first and foremost. Um, but just, I think part of going from tourism into the distillery life, being a personality and being able to tell a story, which is kind of what we want our whiskey to be about. It's about a story. Being able to tell that to people is um, something that I hope to bring to the table. Well, I know that um, initially your projected investment was around 500,000. Has it remained at that or has it increased over time? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, I think uh, it's probably no surprise that it creeped north of uh, that number. Um, it's always nice to try and shoot for something. Um, but uh, I think that we've, uh, again, we've, we've achieved, a, a, I think, a more efficient process by um, capitalizing a lot of our, um, our money in terms of putting it into this space, making, uh, making sure we have a more long-term um, approach to this, uh, which comes from thought and comes from really thinking through what we want to do, how we want to do it. So, yeah, I would say that we're probably, um, depending on how you cut it, um, we're probably north of, I would say, 600,000 even at this point. Um, shucks, we even bought a, a new distillery or a new uh, still there in the back. Um, that we're that we're gonna uh, be working on here pretty soon. So, you know, we're always we're always pivoting. If 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 it makes sense, um, you know, we'll we'll take we'll take that cost if we can. Well, let's now. Speaking of equipment, let, let's talk about distillery equipment. Walk me through your main setup and the equipment that's involved with that. Well, right now we have a 500 gallon cooker that also functions as a still and we're gonna do our trial runs in that. Um, we have three large fermenters um, that we will start pumping to shortly. And right now, I just mentioned, we have a brand new still, um, a column still. We can really refine our alcohol through that. And then in the future, we hope to build our own column stills to fit our needs of production. The recent column still that you mentioned, is that what you recently purchased from Free Folk? It or? is indeed. Okay. Um, yeah, it's fresh to us. Not even, hasn't set here a week yet. Uh, brand new, real shiny. It's uh, it's something to behold. Fun. I think um, we've been working with RCBI on fabricating these two, three or four stainless steel um, reflux column stills here behind me. Um, I think we'll, we'll put the new guy in where one of these will go and maybe bring the, the other one up to RCBI and continue to work on uh, the completion of that one. So it's allowed us to, to move a little bit faster even than we had, we had hoped with the reflux column stills. That's great. And what a good find for you all to be able to, to find that equipment and be able, it fit you know, into your distillery. That's great. Um, do you have, in addition to that, I know that probably just came up, but do you have um, additional equipment purchases in mind going forward in a, aside from the, the column still you hope to work towards? Um, honestly, hopefully no. <laughs> I, hope we're, I hope we're done on capital expenditures at this point. Uh, as I said, we would like to um, continue to just 
finalized these these two ones that we've been working with RCBI on that are very close to being done, but not quite there yet. So I think we'll focus on that in the, in the short term and um, who knows what the future will bring. Well, I remember um, when we talked to you first a while back, uh, part of your original plan was to uh, make potato vodka and you were going to use uh, like some potato crop from a local kind of urban potato farm down the street from the distillery. Is that still a part of the plan? You know, it's not too late to say one way or another because they say the best time to plant potatoes is in about a week St. Patty's Day. <laughs> we're having that discussion right now about what we want to do. We, it's actually, uh, Scott's also my roommate over about two blocks away and we, we have a, a side yard um, that we've been growing these things in. And we did two years of the same potato crop, you know, the children of the potato crop. And um, we did a lot of research on it. We used the uh, uh, root strout method of uh, hay uh, layers. And uh, that way you sort of avoid some of the issues that you normally would get with potatoes. Um, so uh, when COVID happened last year, uh, I basically just tried to save the crop as much as possible. There's a couple bags of it sitting at our Greenbrier County farm where our water is gonna come uh, be sourced from for the whiskey. Uh, but it's all, they're all sitting in some bags right now in Greenbrier County. So um, thanks for bringing it up, Charles. We, we, it's a touchy subject right now. Uh, <laughs> well, well, that was just something I always liked your interest in using local ingredients, you know, like your local water. I mean, you wanna get water from Pocahontas County there, or, or I guess it's Pocahontas. <laughs> Green, I'm sorry, Greenbrier County just said that. But like I heard recently too in an interview that you were also talking to a poke, this is where I get in Pocahontas County, it was a farmer up there. You were talking about maybe sourcing some heirloom, heirloom corn from. So talk about that relationship and uh, what would that corn end up in? What kind of products? Well, um, another one of our college buddies, Adam Creighton, uh, he's been working at the Gesundheit Institute uh, he's kind of head honcho there and we've reached out to him about possibly sourcing corn, as you said, and we're particularly interested in finding heirloom, um, varieties, especially ones to native to West Virginia. And we're thinking about making either straight corn or maybe like a wheat or a rye, some variety of whiskey with hundred percent heirloom corn. Um, it, it, I feel like it's a frontier in the distillery operation, not bulk corn. You go to the farmer, you talk about the varieties, you help de develop those varieties specifically to the taste for yourself and your customer. Well, having said that, it's, I think, time to go through your initial product lineup um, as far as your list of products that you hope you're going to start with and make. Which ones do you think are going to be important to your success or your success? So that's kind of a two-part question. First being, what do you plan on making? And then what do you think is going to be the ones that make you successful? Mm -hmm. So uh, another good question that, that we debate uh, and we will debate up until probably the last uh, week that we start doing it. Um, but uh, I hope that we can have vodka of some sort on the shelves this summer. Um, mid to late summer, um, especially now given that our vodka schedule has moved up a little bit more than, than we had anticipated with uh, the purchase of what we're colloquially calling the free folk um, distill, uh, distill. And uh, that being said, 
we have 48 or so barrels of, um, it's a medium char American white oak um, that uh, many of them are sitting just over there in our, our barrel room. And so we, we kind of go back and forth on how much, and, and I think that'll come from experience in running our, our fermenters, um, understanding the efficiencies that we want to achieve and our limitations. And, um, and I imagine that we'll probably go back and forth between filling those 48 barrels up and making as much vodka as we can. Um, a benefit of our, our business model is that cash is not truly driving us in the immediate sense. Um, we have very low debt. We, uh, we've kind of bootstrapped everything that we have now. So that allows us to sort of focus on the products that we want to make the ingredients we want to focus on and uh, making the best product that we think people will enjoy. Great. Um, well, have you decided how you're going to handle packaging your products? I don't know who to answer. <laughs> <Hard> questions. <laughs> we, uh, uh, we've been talking with a couple grad. We've almost uh, talked about, I think we've both sat down and sketched out a couple different things uh, for our product line. Um, I th we think maybe even the, the product itself will give us some inspiration what the, the packaging and labeling will look like. Yeah, let's talk about those uh, whiskey barrels for a while. I like that idea. You've got all those uh, medium char barrels. Talk about where you are planning to source barrels or where you did source those barrels, where you're going to get your new barrels from. I like the idea of working with um, the, the, the barrel um, company down in um, Greenbrier County outside of Lewisburg. You know, of course, uh, um, we try and source everything as local as possible. We, we want to achieve a West Virginia flavor. We, we think that's unique. Um, we would like to, I, I could imagine working with, we're very, we're, we're very horizontally integrated in our company. We actually discussed making our own barrels at one point. Um, so it'd be interesting to work with them on West Virginia sourced white oak, even um, if that's possible. Uh, I, I'm very interested in, in all of those things. Um, once we, we have not thought past those 48 barrels, or at least I haven't. Yeah, I think that uh, once you get that corn uh, whiskey into those barrels and aging, you're probably going to turn some of it into bourbon. I'm, I'm just guessing that's going to be a mainstay down the road. What are you looking at? Like how many years do you think you want to start aging product for, I mean, it, it's a while, I know, but let us talk about that. I think that, um, you know, patience is always like the key virtue of a distiller and you take some out and try it and see if it's ready. <laughs> That's how you learn, yeah. <laughs> well, I know some of our small distillers that have started up like you guys, you know, earlier than you though, that they've used smaller barrels, they've used different techniques, you know, to, to, uh, to get, to collapse some of that aging time, you know, to, to mellow out that uh, whiskey so they can sell it as bourbon and, and have it like, you know, nice and drinkable. So you're not gonna take any shortcuts or you don't anticipate any shortcuts of, those, of that type or bullock. No, sir. I, I think uh, we are focused on those 48 barrels. And, uh, and again, once we, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll come up with things we like, things we don't like as we, as we go through, obviously that'll take on a 500 gallon pot still, it'll take us a while to fill up those 48. Um, but uh, I'm sure we'll learn some things and we'll make some adjustments and, 
and we'll act accordingly. Well, being an urban distillery, uh, I think your tasting room will probably play a much bigger role than some of these that are, you know, out in the country or in small towns. Uh, talk about your tasting room, your plans for it, what you want it to do. We've designed the tasting room to um, be larger in the sense that we can accommodate having um, a small, even maybe traveling, traveling exhibits or um, things from small businesses that just want to set up a little area to sell their local wares. Um, I'm interested in talking with artisan co-ops from around the state. Um, again, you know, kind of reinforcing that West Virginia theme and sort of supporting common West Virginia small businesses. Um, so I would like to see it as a sort of a community space in that sense. Um, you know, it's a, a place that people can gather and people can conversate and um, uh, purchase some things and learn some things. Well, I like that because you're going to be on a heavily trafficked street in a neighborhood that has lots of foot traffic and other restaurants and places. Uh, I think, yeah, you'd be wise. And that sounds like a good plan to have a variety of things sold there. But, you know, even beyond just the opportunity to purchase and taste the whiskey products. How do you anticipate um, getting the Bullock products into liquor stores? I don't know if we've even put that much thought into it yet, Aaron. Um, like I said, we, have, we haven't even gotten to the labeling yet for the vodka. <laughs> so we figure um, we, uh, I guess the, uh, the way to put it is that we, we kind of tackle one thing at a time. And so um, we do hope that there is some changes in the legislature towards that end, I would, I would like to say. Um, uh, I think it's it's difficult if you talk to a lot of the other distillers in the state. I, I can't speak for anyone, but um, I think if you talk to the average distiller in West Virginia, they say um, it's difficult to even get their product on um, the shelf of some of the big boys in state. Um, so uh, that that's 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 a something we'll have to tackle and have some serious conversations about. It, I think when that time comes. I, I can definitely understand that. I mean, I, I see how challenging that is. Have you began to at least develop some sort of list of bars or restaurants that you hope to see your products in, maybe in your immediate area or some, you know, at all in Charleston? Um, for the vodkas, uh, yes, I, I hope that, I mean, to answer your question truly, I hope everyone carries our product. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> um, now, and I hope that we can we, we can meet those price points that can allow for that. I think that people people from out of state travel to new places and new states to experience what that state is about, those new flavors, those that sort of unknown uh, je ne sais quoi of, of that, that area. And so yeah, I hope that we can I hope that we can be in every every bar in the near vicinity. Um, I think that, uh, that well there are there are two major um, uh, things that uh, in the legislature that people are looking towards that would help those uh, those, those ends that, that you're talking about, about getting those into people's hands, into the consumer's hands. The governor has uh, proposed recently, you know, some things that aren't really favorable in taxation to the alcohol industry or alcohol production industry in the state. And I know that he wants to raise the uh, liquor markups quite a bit. Have you guys had any thoughts on, on those issues? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, any cost increase is going to be significant to any business. Um, in an industry like ours, where 
the, the margins are pretty slim anyway, and the taxes are rel very relatively high to the, the actual operational cost of the product. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the proposal is to go from 29 to 38 and a half or something like that uh, percent for distilleries. That's a, it's a 10% um, increase. That's a 30% um, uh, relative to the, to the increase. 30% cost is going to, that's going to be hard for any industry to absorb. Um, either that eats into your profit margins or you pass it on to the consumer. Um, both of those are not, not great things. Um, I understand the, the brewery industry is getting it really bad and uh, the, wine, the winery industry as well. Um, none of these bode well for um, especially new guys like us that are getting into the industry. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen in the last year or two, we've had four or five new licenses issued, including yours and the, the small distillery industry. And boy, it's been a, a hot thing. And it's just a shame to see it looks like it's going to get penalized for trying to, to grow uh, a business in the state. And it, you hate to see that. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And we sure hope that maybe that doesn't happen like they're talking, we hope. It would be a miss to not even plug our uh, other roommate, uh, Ross Williams at Bad Shepherd. And we've had conversations on this very topic uh, about this uh, increase. And as an established brewer in this town, I mean, he takes it very seriously and he is curious as to what exactly it would entail, but uh, it looks grim, uh, I think is what one of the words he used. Yeah. Hey, but speaking of uh, working with a local brewery, I, I know there's a distillery in the state that takes a little beer from one of our small breweries and distills that beer into a uh, malt liquor, malt, you know, malt whiskey, I mean, and, and uh, is, is that something that I'm not saying you've committed to doing that. Is that something you're, you would consider though? We, we talk about this all the time. We think it's a great idea. Um, one of our biggest limitations is fermentation. Um, if we could uh, speed that process up and, and especially um, as, as we've been saying, our, we love to have these synchronicities with fellow local uh, small businesses, West Virginia based businesses, West Virginia products. Um, absolutely. And, and the more that these industries grow, the more that we can rely on each other for those kind of things, these collaborations. Um, absolutely, absolutely, we look forward to it. Um, is there an official opening date for the Bullock Distillery? Depends on what you mean by official, Aaron. Uh, I would say green, that- Green um, opening plans. Do you have any sure, green sure. opening type yeah, plans? Yeah. Um, I'd say when, when we have those vodkas on the shelves is when we'll do the, the super grand opening. Um, I hope that before that we can have the tasting room open. We could have, you know, small events um, with uh, pop-up shops or things of that nature. Um, so we could have some soft openings. Um, we'll be back here working. So in that sense, we're open. We're we're uh, we're open for business. Um, but uh, as a when it comes to consuming the product, a little bit more time. So hopefully this summer. Yeah, well, we're so excited, though, to see that you got your license issued, all your final permits, and, and you're now over there distilling and getting things started, and you're going to fill those barrels. You're going to have that vodka tank done, and uh, we're going to see some product bottled and out in the tasting room. And Thank you guys for the opportunity to talk, and we look forward to uh, sampling our products with you guys very soon. 
All right. Well, we've been talking with Scott Ferris and Ty Bullock of the Bullock Distillery in Charleston, West Virginia. And Aaron McCoy has been on as my co-host. I'm Charles Bachway, and I want to thank everybody for listening in to West Virginia Beer Roads Talking Whiskey. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.